Kia no mai, hi to mai, I'm Dan, welcome to the Short Vineyard Podcast, great to have you listening today. The message you're about to hear is from our current series called Eight Journeys, God Encounters That Could Change Us Forever. We want to explore this idea of being moved in 2019 from wherever we are now to wherever God is calling us to, taking whatever next step there is in our faith journey. So hopefully that's what this message encourages you to do. And stick around because at the end, I'll let you know how you could take a next step to be a further part of our church community. Right now, enjoy the message. You've got Bibles today. We're focusing on Esther, Queen Esther. And I would love you to turn. It's, um, it's the 17th book of the Old Testament, so it's somewhere in the middle there. Um, if you've got a paper Bible, it's a little easier if you've got a digital Bible. And go to chapter 4, and I'll, I'll give you a really quick update to chapter 4. If you're a Sunday school kid, you've probably done this. Um, if, you've, uh, if you've read, you know, if you like reading the stories of the Bible, you've probably read about Esther. You may be a little rusty, though, so I'll just give you a little update along the way. So, so Esther finds us with the children of Israel in the Babylonian exile. Big story, that, but just, just take it at that. They're about 100 years in to the exile, and they're exiled in Persia, and, and the, the setting, setting of Esther is in Susa, which is the capital of Persia, and um, there are basically um, four main characters in the thing. So there are two, two Jews. There's a the man called Mordecai. He's a very important. We'll meet him a little this morning. There's a, a lady called Esther. We'll meet her a lot. She's really important. She's Mordecai's niece, but Mordecai is like her guardian. Um, and then there, are, then there is the king. His name uh, is Xerxes. Uh, and then there's a baddie. You've got to have a baddie. Baddies make good stories. And his name is Haman. And um, I'll tell you the end at the beginning. It doesn't end well for Haman, which is a really good thing in the context of the whole story. Those are the people you're going to meet if you read through the first little bit along the way. So Esther's a, a, a beautiful um, but lowly Jewish girl, an unknown really, and in bizarre circumstances, this is a truly bizarre book from time to time in the story as you will read it or if you have read it, um, in bizarre circumstances she gets put forward in a beauty pageant to be the new queen. The old queen didn't do her job well and so she was dismissed and Esther becomes the queen, um, Xerxes', Xerxes wife. Um, along the way Mordecai, her uncle, uh, overhears a plot to kill the king and um, he lets the king know, and so the plot is averted. That's important to know. Um, Haman, the baddie, remember, he hates the Jews, and he hates Mordecai in particular, and so he hatches a plot for Mordecai to be killed. Uh, important that we know. And so we come to uh, uh, um, Esther chapter 4, um, verse 11, where Mordecai has sent a message into the palace um, via a messenger and said to Esther, the whole Jewish, uh, not nation because they're not a nation, but the whole Jewish people are threatened with wipe, being wiped out and you are there with the opportunity maybe to go and see the king and change this whole thing. And so I want to take you into um, uh, Ephesians, I want to say Esther, it starts with a, um, chapter 4 verse 11. And she says this, she gets the message from the messenger and says, you've got to go to the king. And um, she responds, everyone who works for the king here and even the people out in the provinces 
knows that there is a single fate for every man or woman who approaches the king without being invited, and that's death. The one exception is if the king extends his gold scepter, then he or she may live. And it's been 30 days now since I've been invited to come to the king. Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows, maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. And Esther sent back her message to Mordecai. Go and get all the Jews living in Susa together. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, either day or night. I and my maids will fast with you. If you do this, I'll go to the king, even though it's forbidden. If I die, I die. The story unfolds from there, and we'll, we'll touch on it again later, but roughly the story unfolds. Xerxes does accept Esther's presence. The plot against Mordecai by Haman is turned around. Haman ends up being impaled by the spear, or by the, uh, yeah, by the spear that um, he had put aside to impale Mordecai in the first place. And the Jewish nation, as you probably would know, is saved. The Jewish people are saved. And it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a story with a number of sort of um, pivot here in, um, in chapter 4. The Mordecai idea of who knows, maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. Maybe this is why you were put on this planet, at least at the moment, that you could be in, intervening. And then even more so, uh, particularly because it's a message on Esther, but because she's the one who has to go and do it, is I'll go to the king. After due consideration, of course, but I'll go to the king even though it's forbidden. If I die, I die. And she goes to the king not knowing what her fate would be. Important things for us to have in the back of our minds. So that's the story of Esther. It might be a little um, brushing up of your Sunday school knowledge, or it might be the first time that we've introduced Esther to you. It's only 10 chapters long. It reads like a story. It doesn't, it doesn't get bogged down or anything like that. So if you, if you struggle sometimes with reading the Bible, the story of Esther will be an easy one for you to read. And I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. But at that stage, it's only a story, isn't it? It's only a, it's only a well, it happened two and a half thousand years ago or something like that. And it's hardly at that point a God encounter that will change me forever, which is the bold aim of our series, that we would have a God encounter that would change us forever. And so we have to ask that question, how does that apply? How does it translate? How does it bring us to the point that we are, wherever we are, whatever our situation, wherever we are placed today? as we go. And I think the answer is, broad speaking, is that we too are called to dare to be an Esther, if you like, to dare to, to pick up on some of the aspects which we'll look at over the next 10 minutes or so of her story, of her, of her uh, courage, of the way that she was able to overcome some of the things that would be impediments to the process and to dare to be an Esther, or if, we're, if we listen tonight or if we were there tonight, to dare to be a Lydia, <coughs> excuse me, or to dare to be a Saul or to dare to be a Joshua, to dare to be like those people who are heroic in our scriptures, not as a, as a sort of a, almost a museum piece, but as an inspiration, as an example to us to dare to be an Esther. Because I think for every one of us, somewhere along our way, some time, some place, we're going to have Esther moments in our journey. Esther moments 
for us or Mordecai moments in terms of his contribution, but Esther moments where we too are going to be called into, into making a difference, making the difference between good and evil or right and wrong or something like that. Because not every day in a Christian life is sort of, you know, this eye-popping, you know, kind of incredible sort of, I just had this amazing relationship with God and, you know, sort of all sorts of miracles happen. A lot of Christian days are pretty mundane days, aren't they? It's like you go to work, you get up, you go to school, you do whatever you do along the way. Not every day is life-changing in that sense. But in our lives, but in our, in our um, you know, many or few years that are on this earth, in our many or few years that we are believers and Christians, every single one of us, there will be times when we get to be in a little way like an Esther, that we get to have Esther moments where when we're there and no one else can do what we need to do. And it may not be today or it may not even be this week or this month or this year, but there will be times when we are invited and called forward in that way to have our Esther moments. Moments when we are called to go into the presence of the King, even when we're not invited and even when we have a sense that the outcome may be to our detriment in some way. If I die, I die. Moments where we're stretched. And there will be moments in this room today where we're stretched or challenged or scared or ill-equipped or feeling incredibly vulnerable. Moments for all of us. Esther, Mordecai moments are the very nature of our journey, the very nature of our journey. I remember um, Fran and I, we went to, um, we were a bit involved in Vineyard Missions, and we went in um, uh, 2013 to a Vineyard Missions conference in Bangalore. And um, uh, we have had something, a fair bit to do with the uh, vineyard in the Philippines, vineyard churches in the Philippines. And we knew a few of the Philippines pastors who were coming there. Um, <coughs> but, but we'd never met this guy called Ronnie. So Ronnie was um, one of the pastors in a very poor part of the Philippines. And he had never been to anything we'd been at before. And so when Ronnie left the Philippines to come to Bangalore, um, about the time he was in the air, there was a massive earthquake in his hometown. And, um, and by the time Ronnie got to Bangalore, he found that his house had been severely damaged and that his wife and his daughter were living under a tarpaulin, under a mango tree in his local village. And of course, arriving in India and, and getting new connections back to go and help out wasn't all of that easy. And so we ended up, Fran and I in particular, um, just ended up spending most of two or three days with Ronnie. We missed sort of sessions we prayed with, we helped, we talked through, and all of these sorts of things. Just before I'd left on that particular trip, my brother had phoned me. This has never happened before. And he said, he said, I've got some money, and I wonder whether while you're away, you may have an opportunity or see a, see a real need. And I said, oh, how much money have you got? He said, oh, i got $2,000, which, you know, in the context of a house that's pretty wrecked, it's not a lot of money, but in the context of money, that's still a lot of money. And so we're connected with Ronnie. We've never met him before, but I think our hearts connected with him immediately. And then we had this real sense of by this pastor. And there were lots of other people who were devastated by the earthquake and all of this. But nevertheless, there was a moment where just the two of us and, and Ronnie really were spending all of this time together, praying and thinking. And so I was able to sort of put out something of a, an appeal around some people. And within not much time, really, we had raised enough money to, to rebuild the, the areas of his house or the parts of his house, which actually act as a center for about a dozen 
pastors in his, on his island of Bohol in the Visayas and in the, the Philippines um, for them to gather. And, and the next year we were able to go and be part of Ronnie. It's Ronnie in the striped shirt, another one of the pastors on the left-hand side, Fran, Ronnie's wife and, and daughter are there. And it just felt like a moment, you know. It felt like, a, you know, I didn't, we didn't have to. But it felt like a moment that, that, that we were sort of, we were destined for this. Not so much to be at a, a missions conference in Bangalore, but to meet Ronnie and to know his needs. We all have little experiences like that. Moments, Esther moments, I want to call them, at least in the connection of this morning. Um, I remember that, um, that Brooke Fraser song, Albertine, um, back in 2007. Now that I've seen, I'm responsible. Faith without deeds is dead. Now that I've held you in my own arms, it was a, it was a, um, you know, a, a dying child. I cannot let go till you are. There's, there's a sense where, where God will just, in the most unexpected, sometimes in the, in the least able to help, sometimes in the least likely situation, put us in a place where we get to be Esther. And it's a magnificent thing. We were never going to die. It wasn't like if, you know, if I die, I die with that. But it's like, you know, there are a whole lot of other people that could be saved by this thing. But God, you've put us in Ronnie's area. And I wonder, you know, this year, 2019, an encounter that could change our life forever when we respond to Esther moments. When we have Esther moments on our journey, we will need to get to know or get to walk in or hopefully experience something of Esther courage on our journey. Because the story of Esther really is a story, in my mind, of bravery, of courage. You know, can you imagine the night before going in to, to see this fearsome king, knowing that the weight of a, of a nation really is upon your shoulder? What sort of courage does that take? An incredible amount of courage. Does anyone recognize this guy? He's New Zealand's most famous soldier. Anybody, anybody know him? Upham, Charles Upham. Victoria won two Victoria Crosses in the Second World War, 1941 in Crete, 1942 in Egypt. Only one combat soldier in the history of the world has ever won two Victoria Crosses, VC and Bar they call it. Charles Upham, Canterbury farmer, um, won it. Two uh, British medics won two Victoria Crosses in the First World War. Absolutely heroic. I've done a lot of walking over Christmas time, and I've thought a lot about courage, which was before my Esther, you know, invitation really to, to be talking about Esther. Charles Upham would be a guy who's an incredible man of courage. The other guy I've been thinking about during this time is this guy. Anybody recognize him? Highly unlikely, but this guy's name's Ormond Burton. Ormond Burton uh, was a First World War soldier. New Zealander, um, and um, he started out as a medic, and he turned, and, and he ended the war as an infantryman. And in the First World War, he won the military medal, which is a which is a medal given to uh, Commonwealth soldiers for courage under fire. So incredible courage in the man, and he won a French heroism medal. So Ormond Burton, uh, in the between the First World War and the Second World War, became a Methodist minister. He was already a Christian, became a Methodist minister. And by the time the Second World War came around, he had embraced a pacifist stand. And so in the Second World War, the day after New Zealand declared war on Germany, I guess, or you know, entered the Second World War, Ormond Burton, um, sorry, I put that the wrong way, Ormond Burton led a protest against the Second World War. That's Ormond Burton with the sign around his head which says, Love your enemies. 
And I was thinking about Ormond Burton through while I was walking and thinking about Charles Upham when I'm walking. Charles Upham is a hero, courageous, incredible the things that he did. Ormond Burton is a hero, courageous, incredible in the things that he did. Literally a hero because he, because he faced bullets in the First World War. But a hero out of conviction in a moment to say, and I'm, this is not a pacifist speech or a, a political speech, and we're you know, kind of, thank goodness we haven't even had to ask a lot of those questions in our lifetimes. But what a heroic thing to do to say, actually, I don't believe in this thing and that we should love our enemies. He went to jail for two and a half years. He was banned from the Methodist Church for 10 years, wasn't brought back into 1955. A man of courage, a man of courage who had his moment in a sense and took them in one sense on both sides of an argument. What about this woman? Does anyone recognize her? Kate Shepherd, we should all know if we've, we could get out a $10 note, we could, look, we could look at exactly that picture. I think that's the one that we've used on the $10 note. Kate Shepherd, a Christian lady, started the Women's Temperance Union. Temperance is no alcohol, basically. Started it, I, I, probably not because she was so anti-alcohol, but because of the ravages of alcohol, mainly on women and children. And so she started the Women's Temperance Union, a Christian Temperance Union, part of the Trinity Congregational Church. And in the 1870s and 1880s, think about that, 1870s and 80s, campaigned for women's rights out of the basis of her deep faith and understanding of what was right. And she campaigned for things like the availability of contraception, um, the ability um, for women to divorce for the ability of divorced women to still have access to their children, um, and for the abolition of corsets, funnily enough, which I think women will understand probably better than men, but, but it seems like that was a really important thing. Her crown and glory, of course, is what we know why she's on our $10 note, is that she led the women's suffrage movement in New Zealand, suffrage being the right to vote. And so she presented to Parliament in the 1890s a 30,000 signature petition, which is a heck of a lot in a small country, um, for women to vote. And in 1893, you kind of know your New Zealand history because we're proud of this, of course, um, women in New Zealand became the first women to be able to have the vote. Out of the conviction of something that maybe I, I don't, find a quote from Kate saying God told me to do it but out of a conviction of which we would all nod and benefit I think probably today a, a hero a hero I think in our in our life and somebody affecting our life you know it takes great courage to follow God great courage to follow God I mean really follow God it takes an Esther type of courage and there's an invitation in our journey you know, to, to grow in that and to, and to when we're faced with it, to, to display it. And so for us, you know, as we fight injustice and, and as we deal with the things in our lives, our disappointments and our failures and our pains, and let's face it, we all have to do that in our, in our faith and in our, in our Christian life sometimes. As we come to terms with, um, I don't know, our own mortality, as we face our fears, every single one of us here, doing that in some way, even this moment, this day, you know, facing some of the things that we have to face in life. Esther-like courage will make all the difference. How important is courage to us on the journey? It's an incredibly 
significant and important thing. Moments on our journey are going to come. Courage of Esther is something that we can invite and that we can call forward. And I think the Bible also offers us something of a hope, something of an expectation going forward of Esther-like celebrations along the journey. Because we can get mired, can't we? You know, there will be people, DG even was praying, you know, maybe for people for, the, for whom the words of that song really are particularly applicable at the moment, who, who maybe are struggling in some way. We can get mired in the sense that this is my life, that there is no way out. You know, maybe I'd, I'd like to go and see the king so I could either die or succeed. But actually, I'm, I'm stuck at the moment. Well, a lot, of, you know, a lot of areas of our life, we live like that. We just have to live with it, don't we? We go through it, and yet there's a, a promise as we read the book of Esther that there are celebrations into our future, celebrations as we continue on our journey. And so if we pick up the story in Esther chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, so she goes into the king. So there's a bit of a gap, obviously, between 4 and 7. So there's a lot of stuff happens in there you can read. If I've found favor in your eyes, O king, and if it pleases the king, give me my life and give my people their lives. How bold is she by then? We've been sold. I am my people to be destroyed, sold to be massacred, eliminated. I mean, this is a, this is a crucial moment. I love it, next sense, if we'd just been sold off into slavery. You know, if it was only something as small as slavery, well, I wouldn't have even brought it up. Our troubles wouldn't have been worth even bothering you, king. But we're facing genocide here. We're facing the elimination of a people, God's people, but elimination of a people, and I need to come. What an amazing thing it is, and the, 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 the outcome of that comes in Esther 8 when it talks about the city of Susa exploded with joy. For Jews, it was all sunshine and laughter. They celebrated. They were honored. It was that way all over the country, in every province, every city, when the king's bulletin was posted. The Jews took to the streets in celebration, cheering and feasting. Not only that, but many non-Jews became Jews. It was an incredible time because of the courage of somebody who didn't have a lot going for her apart from her beauty and her position, I guess, which is what got her there, but ultimately was willing to go with what she had and see God move. And we each have that opportunity, don't we, to go with what we have, small as it may be, fish and bread or something like that, and to see God move. What an inspiration this woman is. What an inspiration this story is, the story of Esther, the journey of Esther, that would change our lives forever. You know, there is a promise. There is a reward. There is hope for those who endure. You know, Jesus says it almost to every one of the churches of Revelation 2 and 3. You know, those who endure, you know, there is the promise of life. There is the promise of, you know, um, a, a joy and all of the things that maybe are missing in the experience at the moment. That's what we hang on to and that what, that's what we trust and so the message of the morning is to dare to be an Esther, to dare to be somebody who would, who would see the moment and pick the moment, who would take the courage and, and, and live in the courage of the things that God is calling us and asking us to do, you know, in the hope and in the expectation of the celebration that is to come. What a magnificent thing it is. Could I ask you to stand? And uh, we're just going to spend a few moments praying into into this thought of Esther. So maybe you'd like to close your eyes because it would be great to, to, be, to be a little personal with God.
And that sometimes just helps. So, God, come, we pray. Be in our midst. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for a moment like this. Maybe you brought me here for a moment like this. Maybe that message was just for me. Maybe that message had a point in it that's, that's going to be important to me this week. And if so, God, I pray that you would just highlight it to me. Or that story. Or that worship song. Lord, I pray for my next Esther moment. Maybe you remind, you're, you're giving it to me right now. Maybe it'll be later this week or maybe it'll be you know, a long way away. But Lord, I pray you'd find me willing. You'd find me, I'm sure, human. But Lord, you'd find me willing ultimately to, to go and, and dare to be an Esther, Lord. Well, that is going to do it for this edition of the Shaw Vineyard Podcast. Real quick, before you go, if you haven't already, it would be a great idea to subscribe to the podcast, especially if somebody sent this to you, so that you don't miss when the next episode gets published. And if you are on Auckland's North Shore and in the Forest Hill or the Bays area, we'd love to host you in person at one of our services, either 10 a.m. or 5 p.m. this coming Sunday. It would be our honour to host you as a guest this weekend. Whatever is in store for you for the rest of the day, the rest of this week, I hope it is a good one. And we'll see you next time here on the Shore Vineyard Podcast.